I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on guys? Happy Wednesday. I'm joined by Mr. Brendan Nunes and we've got a bunch of unhappy news to get through. I'm doing good, man. I'm more optimistic than you are about all this. Like, it's not great news, but I don't know. Make it sound so horrible. I mean, it's unhappy news, dude. It is. It is. So we've got a bunch of unhappy news to get through. I mean, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm going to try and put a positive spin on it wherever I can. Mm-hmm. But the news itself is like, ugh. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great, but, you know, it doesn't change too much for this season or anything. No, and I've always been, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So I'm cool with that. But if anybody that is listening wasn't really following what was going on on NBA Twitter, Celtics Twitter, in the Celtics Celtic stratosphere, Celtics blog especially, then we got some news for you guys. I mean, we all know that Kemba Walker's knees have been an issue in air quotes, kind of like it's been a question of, is it a degenerative problem? Is it a structural issue? What's going on with those knees and how are the Celtics going to manage that? Well, yesterday, as in Tuesday, the Celtics released a press release via email and then on social media. There's a couple of pieces here, but we'll hit each one and then we'll discuss what that means and our thoughts and then we'll move on to the next. So the main one is Kemba Walker receiving stem cell injections into his left knee. We'll put on a 12-week strengthening program to prepare for the upcoming season. And we're looking at probably early January to mid-January before we see him back on the floor. Brendan, what's your take from him having stem cell injections? I mean, we know that he's had some knee issues. um, So I'm glad to see him going through this. And for the date, the target date to be early December, he's not really missing much time. I mean, I would assume that Putting this out means, you know, what season start? Um, is it 22nd, right? So we're talking about him missing preseason pretty much right now in training camp, which sucks. Um, but, you know, there's a chance he's back for the season, and that just means he's going to need a little bit more time to fully get into rhythm. Um, but, you know, even with it being a little shortened, it's still a long season. He'll have a lot of time to get that back. You just hope that you know, this this makes a difference and he's able to stay healthy throughout the year. I think the story here kind of is that there were quotes and I don't have them directly in front of me of pretty much Kemba was playing a little injured throughout the playoffs. And I think it got blown up a little bit. You know, there were some jokes, obviously, pointing back to um, putting it in line with the Isaiah Thomas situation and saying it was a little bit of like incompetence from the Celtics training staff and coaching staff. But I don't think that's what it is. I mean, I think that, you know, how if you talk to players, I think a lot of them would say most of the time in your in the playoffs, you're not healthy, but that's just how it is. You know, it's a grind out there. I mean, you're about to be finished and then you can do any healing that you need throughout the off season. If you're a little hurt, you're a competitor, you're going to power through. And I think that, you know, Kemba possibly did that. I don't think that it, it is a little worrying of a trend. I'm not going to lie, but I think that people play through injuries throughout the playoffs. And I, I don't think that's some like, bad move on Boston side or anything like that. Obviously it wasn't that bad or anything, you know, if there's just some lingering pain, I think that there's a good percentage of guys in the league that throughout the playoffs have some sort of lingering pain going on. Yeah. So the first thing I want to hit on is it does say that he'll return to uncle activities in early December, but that means he's had no preseason, no training camp. I'm not expecting to actually see him get court time until early January at the, uh, at the earliest. 
simply because they're going to need to get him some reps in the practice facilities. They're going to need to slowly ramp him up and strengthen that knee in terms of actual game reps. And then when we're saying, look, yeah, he played through the playoffs injured. Well, yeah, we knew that. We knew that coming into the the hiatus from COVID, that his knees were an issue. They were an issue after the All-Star game. They troubled him and then he had three to four months off, came back and he still had soreness in that knee and then played through during the playoffs with that knee. My biggest concern is by saying that we've used stem cell treatment, and boy, we are on about them, by saying they've used stem cell treatment, that to me points to a, a degenerative issue, not a structural issue. If it was structural, then he would have been sent down for an operation. There would have been some form of procedure done on that knee. Degenerative is more of a problem because it means it's long-term and you need to figure out how you're going to manage it. And over time, that's going to slow his first step. It's going to mean that he needs more load management. And that contract he's on and his ability to influence games, especially on back-to-backs and things like that, really start to become negated. At which point, to me, if you don't have 100% of Kemba Walker when it's playoff time, then I don't think you're getting enough from Kemba Walker to be considered a championship-level roster. Right, especially when he's taking up that much salary, right? But I think that the idea of managing it throughout the regular season and having him relatively healthy for the playoffs and probably 90%, even 80% come um, come finals time, I think that most players are at 90% max at that point. You know, um, So I think that if you properly manage it throughout the regular season, you can be pretty hopeful that he'll stay okay throughout the playoffs. But yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from, but at the same time, this, again, is not really anything that new, right? It's We knew this was going to be a little bit of a concern. This is common with, with guards like this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just going to be something that Danny and, and the coaching staff and all the front office and Kemba are going to have to work hand in hand in sort of managing this. And I think that, you know, I, I don't I don't point to like the Isaiah situation and saying that like Boston utterly screwed that up because it could be an outlier situation. You know, there's no other um, injury kind of mismanagement that I can really pinpoint unless there's any that come to mind with you. So I don't have all too much of a reason to be that skeptical in the Celtics coaching staff and training staff when it comes to that. So I'm optimistic that come playoff times, you'll get enough from Kemba. So see, for me, the narrative's a bit different for me because I remember being on a podcast with you way before we were doing this show and having a very similar discussion about Kyrie Irving and his knees and his longevity and his career because of that. The only difference was Kyrie Irving was having operations on that knee. There was, if I remember, there was like foreign bodies. There was issues with the cartilage there too, but it was operable. And to me, that was kind of a lot more reassuring that, you know, you can operate and you can create some new structure in the knee and kind of reinforce where the damaged areas are. With Kemba, you can't do that. It sounds like it's more arthritic. And the problem with arthritis is once it sets in and it really starts to take a hold of you, all you can do is manage it. And I I understand, look, like you say, 80-90% at the finals is about where guys are after a tough playoff run. But for Kemba Walker, he needs that first step because of his height, because of the way he plays coming off screens. If he loses that step, especially in the finals when he's being deed up on, if you're like, you know, Toronto for a box and one, he comes up against some zone D and you need that first step to get that penetration. And and look, the Celtics done a good job in bringing in some additional penetrators in guys like Jeff Teague and Peyton Pritchard, I'm assuming he's going to be, a semi zone buster if he gets the reps and he actually shows 
similar form to what he had in college. I don't think we can rely on that too much. It's just a concern for me whether or not Kem- this is if Kemba Walker's on a downward trend and Boston decide to stick with him. I just feel like that hurts their their ability to win a championship with him as the primary guard long term. Not this season, yeah. But in a year or two, I think that's right. a big issue. Yeah, I think two years down the line is when you're really going to start to feel this. And I think that it was already a little bit of a thought that towards the end of this Kemba contract that it, it probably wasn't going to feel great. Um, and there's a good chance that the Boston ends up moving on from him. But, you know, I think that a championship is not realistic for this team, in my opinion, if Kemba Walker is your number one option in the first place. I think Jason Tatum needs to evolve into a full-time superstar that can be a number one option on a championship team if the Celtics are going to win it within this next year or two. And I think that Kemba maybe slowed down a little bit from some knee issues as a second option would work fine, assuming that Jason takes that leap that is needed anyways, in my opinion. This is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Kemba needs to be your number one option, but he needs to be your primary guard. If you want it to be a championship roster, then Kemba Walker is your number one option at the guard position, especially out of what they've got on that roster at the moment. We're going to get to see some other guards play that position now for the first few weeks until Kemba Walker's, you know, getting 25 to 30 minutes a game once he's slowly been ramped up. And then I'm assuming we're going to see a lot of guard rotation throughout the season as they keep him fresh. Yeah, and one of those guards that you're kind of talking about is is Romeo Langford, right? Who we also have a little bit of an injury up, update on. Yeah, so Romeo, as everybody's aware, Romeo injured his wrist during the seeding games, if I'm not mistaken, uh, heading into the playoffs last season. Was it the mm-hmm. seeding? I'm sure it was the final seeding game before the playoffs began. In the um, 22nd of September. So this was a torn whatever ligament in his right wrist. I'm not even going to try and butcher the, that word. You can take an attempt if you want, bro. A ligament. And I just messed up there. The oh, no, surgery yeah. was on the 22nd. Yeah, so the injury was not. But what's the, what's the, what ligament is it? Do you want to try oh, and butcher yeah, no, that word? N- no, I don't. <laughs> Scapolante? I don't know, dude. Yeah. Scapolante, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was in his right <laughs> wrist. He's had an, he's had an operation. Uh, it was a four- to five-month rehab. It's proceeding as planned. There's no return date on that at the moment. You can but see four to his... five months from September would be January, February. Yeah. And then obviously you need to slowly ramp him up. I'm expecting he'll spend some time in Maine, get his reps in, in in Maine if there's a G League season at that point due to whatever happens with COVID. Yeah. But I don't see him operating as a as a ball handling guard anyway. I'd see him playing more as a two. Yeah, I it's a this this sucks for Romeo. I mean, it's a guy that you know, needed some development time out there. And, you know, he's got a decent feel, but doing it at the NBA level, there was just developmental minutes that he needs. And to be so often injured and not get those is just slowing his his progress to reaching the eventual player that we hope, and I'm sure he hopes that he can eventually be. Um, and this is the same right wrist that he had issues with in college. You know, the goal would be that after this surgery, that's something he no longer has to deal with since it seems like it's been kind of lingering for a little while here. So, yeah, I mean, he, he needs to get a lot of playing time this year, in my opinion. A, a second year under your belt of not really getting experience and, and floor time, especially, you know, in a shallow bench where I think that he could earn himself some minutes would really suck for what was a lottery pick, you know? Yeah, and I mean, this isn't be all and end all, though. Like, if he doesn't get right. floor time, it doesn't mean he's a bust. It doesn't mean that Boston should give up on him. And the guy I'm going to point to, that, had, in my opinion had his rookie year this year in terms of game time. And I'm sure Brendan knows who I'm about to point at now. If he doesn't, then he doesn't read enough of my stuff. Is Markel Fultz. I get it. Fultz was like, what, his third year? 
Right. Yeah, but this was effectively his rookie year. It was the first time he had a, a run of games together without, you know, being injured, being in and out of the lineup. He yeah. found himself and he actually performed very well and he showed growth throughout his third year. So do you think, sorry, do you think the Celtics are in a spot where they can be patient with Romeo like that though? I think so. I feel like there's enough other talent around them. They can concentrate on developing Nes- Naismith. Naismith. Mm-hmm. Um, they can con- concentrate on developing him. They've still got Shemi, which is ludicrous to me that they've picked him up for another year. Probably the last year, yeah. Yeah, but I feel like there's enough other wings on this roster that you and Ainge has spoke very highly of Romeo during his exit interview, and then a few things again today. He likes to call him Romy. You know, there's been a lot of high praise for Romeo from that front office and from the coaching staff. So I just feel like they're going to be patient with him because everybody's excited about what he can develop into. And look, man, it's not ideal being injured for your first 18 months in the NBA, but it's also not unheard of. And guys do come back and forge very respectable careers after that. So I'm not giving up on him yet. It's just not ideal, especially when another guy's been bought in and plays a different type of game in Neesmith. He knows more of a movement shooter, spot-up scorer. Romeo is more of a slasher, a bit better playmaker, better defender, better ball handler. I think Romeo's got far more upside than Neesmith, but Neesmith fills a position that is was in dire need heading into this season. So you might see his minutes higher. But Hayward's yeah. departure, dude, I feel like Hayward's departure opens up a bunch of minutes for Romeo once Romeo's healthy. Yeah, and, you know, just to kind of knock the last one out of here also, uh, the last entry, and then we can kind of just talk to about the rotation that we're working with a little bit at this point. Um, Tristan Thompson, new signee for the Celtics, suffered a minor hamstring strain during an offseason workout. This is the quote prior to arriving in Boston. His availability during the first week of camp will be limited. Um, I mean, training camp is already about to start here in the next couple of days, and you know, just being signed to this team. To me, you know, I put my locks for the starting lineup, my maybes, and then people that I see have no chance. And honestly, Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson, especially with this injury to me, have no chance of making it. None of the rookies, because I think you don't have enough time to even learn the system in Boston. Like they've they've been a Celtic for a week and a half. You know, like there's such a short turnover right now going into this next season there's players that are getting signed today that are reporting to training camp in two days um these guys are going to take a little while to learn the system and what this really means for tristan thompson i mean he can sit back and still sort of educate himself on it but it's different to get a little bit of reps in it and learn the nuances and where you can really take advantage of what your strengths are so yeah it's just going to take a little bit more time for tristan thompson i think this again isn't ideal but it's not all too game changing in the end um, I'll spoil it right now. I still think down the line, you know, Thompson could end up replacing Tice in the starting lineup. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just going to lead to a little bit of a slower start and a lack of some depth at the center position. Maybe you get a little bit more time over minutes. Yeah. So I was really low when Thompson first got bought in. I went back and watched every defensive possession he had last year. And then I paid attention to what Brad Stevens had to say about Thompson in today's yesterday's when you're listening to this media availability and it's true brad stevens sees thompson as a very versatile defensive big when you watch the film he's far more versatile than what personally i expected him to be i was assuming he was just another drop big man Um, he can show he can switch he's got good lateral movement good feet 
I think his physical presence, his dominance on the glass, and his ability to offer a little bit of spacing as a role man will eventually see him take that spot, starting spot. I don't know if he's ever had defenders around him like Boston's about to put um, around him as well. Like, I mean, Cleveland had some some solid ones and some smart players, obviously. What, LeBron? And then who else do you think of? Uh, Shumpert? There's got to be more key defenders, right? But, I mean, he was the anchor of a, of a championship defense. And I think that speaks a lot to it. And I don't think he's had defenders the level of Marcus and Tatum around him. And obviously Brown's a solid defender as well. I think that, yeah, I mean, Thompson could end up with a starting spot for me down the line. And, but yeah, it's, it's definitely going to take a little bit of time. And I don't expect him to be the starter on night one. That's for sure. Oh, no, for sure. I'm looking like coming up to the trade deadline is when we're going to yeah. see that, that move might happen. And that's I'm good. As you say, it gives them, gives Thompson time to learn the system, gives him time to get minutes off the bench, get used to the rotations as well. You know, he's going to need to get used to seeing how long the starters spend on the floor together at the beginning of games. And look, I'm expecting to see him in closing lineups a lot quicker than I'm expecting to see him in starting lineups. I think that's going to be a big caveat. We'll see. He may start off the bench for a considerable amount of the season, but I've got a feeling he'll be in that closing lineup for a very large portion of the season too. Yeah, so if you're cool with moving to a starting lineup, especially kind of for night one, and for assuming Kemba is not a part of it, I have three players that are locks for the starting lineup for me. I have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and then I guess the one that potentially is controversial is Marcus Smart. So those are three locks for me too. Okay. I've got Smart starting at the point guard. I've got Jalen mm-hmm. starting at the two. And I've got Tatum starting at the three. Okay. Yeah, I have Jalen and Jason as honestly anything from two to four. So uh, to me, like uh, you need a center who to me is Tice. He probably actually should be a lock in this. I just thought that you know, with Thompson's injury concern in a short training camp, um, but down the line again, Thompson could potentially do that. But I guess Tice probably is a lock for starting night for me too. Now that I think of it. Yeah, I've got Tice as starting. I'm not saying it's a lock because I feel like there's going to be matchups where Rob Williams may be more yeah. beneficial as the starting big, just because you're going to want to bring Tice in to kind of, help anchor that second unit if if the opposing team's got a very respectable big coming off the bench. I'm not saying that's going to happen regularly, but it's possible. So I'm not saying Tice is a luck, but I've got him as 85% likely. But it, but you need it's him or Time Lord, right? Because you need a center. Yeah, and then I've got Grant Williams as the most logical guy to start at the four. Wow, okay, that's what I put too. I'm surprised we ended up with the same thing. So my my starting lineup predicted for starting night is Marcus, Jalen, Jason, Grant, and Tice. Okay, so anyone listening, Brendan and I never let each other know who we were choosing yeah. at this point, and we've got the exact same starting five. And I'm, I'm surprised. sure most people are going to have that. Grant Williams, I, I to think, me. Mm-hmm. Now, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I mean, to me, like it had to be one of the returning guys that knows the lineup, you know? So it really came down to Grant or Shemi. And to me, like Grant is a long term. Th- a potential long-term piece. I think Shemi's likely gone after this offseason, so it, it seems more beneficial to give it to Grant. Yeah, plus Grant shown, showed sorry, Grant showed development in terms of floor spacing from the corners. His three-point shot looked far more reliable in the playoffs. Looked like he's kind of turned a corner with that shooting ability. There's still a lot more to s- scratch off the surface with Grant, and starting minutes may be a good place to start you know, chiseling away at finding out what's underneath that surface layer that we saw last year. 
He's also got the best IQ out of the the young guys on that roster that would are possibly bench pieces. It just makes no sense to me to slide Tatum up to the floor, to the four, sorry, and then put someone like Neesmith in or Shemi as your starting three so early in the season. You're better off rolling it out with Brown at the two, with Tatum at the three where he excelled all of last season. That's you know that's where he earned his all-star appearance. And then you put Grant Williams in at the four and you ask him to be a floor spacing stretch four. Makes sense yeah. to me. I just don't see I don't see why you wouldn't run it like that. And I'm pretty sure Brad Stevens is going to be super experimental like he always is. So we may be proven wrong on opening night. But for me, it's going to be the rotations that he experiments with more than the starting fives. I, I think actually, interestingly, if somebody was to be the four, I almost pin it to be Jalen. Um, but yeah, I mean, either way, like I, I think that correct me if I'm wrong, that you're with me, that none of these new guys are going to be prepared enough to be starting out the gate or, you know, all too quickly here. Yeah, no, no, no chance. I just feel like that's a lot of pressure to put on a new guy. Yeah. And the second year guys actually have had like an off season and a half at this point, you know. They've had a long time to actually, you know, work on their game in the aspects that they know are going to be crucial to their success at the NBA level. That's a good point. And it's going to that sort of thing really pays dividends. If you remember, not last season, so the the, the fated, the all fated Kyrie season, they were playing Brown at the two a bit. And it was very evident that Brown's weak handle and inability to beat guys off the dribble was hurting him at the two. And then he went away and worked on it last offseason, came back and was a phenomenal two this year. That, for me, is going to be very similar to what we see from Grant Williams. He struggled at times at the four, looked a little a tad slow, looked a little bit unsteady shooting from deep. This year, I think over-helped. we're going to see a very reliable, very much overhelped. But this year, I think we're going to see a very reliable version of Grant Will. Yeah, man, I hope so. And I think that there's a good chance you kind of get that. I mean, okay, so when, when Kemba Walker's healthy, does Marcus Smart move to your bench unit? You know, I, I think that this is going to be something we play with, but personally for you, you know, do you start Kemba and Marcus and then Grant moves to your bench or do you keep Marcus as kind of this super, super sub that you've had for what the past couple of years here, even though he's filled in as a starter a lot? So my idea is you have Marcus Smart on the bench and you have Tristan Thompson as your starting big. And that way you've got a core defensive piece on both lineups. You've got a core defensive piece coming in with your second unit and a core defensive piece with your primary unit. So there's always a dog on the on the floor. There's always somebody getting up in people's mm-hmm. grills. And to me, the added toughness of being able to say, when we go to the bench, we don't lose that that metal, that kind that grit is going to be huge for the Celtics, especially in the playoffs. Has this article come out yet? The one you've been sending me that you're has, pretty much talking about right now? It has not. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, and I'm gonna give myself a cop out almost out of my own question here. I don't I don't know how much it really matters. Like starting his closing lineup has both Marcus and Kemba, right? And I, I probably would start Marcus, but like if you don't, whatever. I mean you so know, like my closing my ideal closing lineup when it's um, you know, meaningful games is Kemba, Marcus, Jalen, Jason, Thompson. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And honestly, uh, call me crazy like I think there's lineups where it's ideal to take Kemba out and you know if one of these wings steps up into a crucial role like a, 
a Grant or or Neesmith that you know that becomes even ideal lineups in some closing minutes. What, Just because Kemba's a little bit of a target on defense, you know. What would you do? You slide Marcus down to the one, Brand down yeah. to the two, Neesmith at the three. Saying he's assuming he plays like a a Duncan Robinson role and he For plays sure, it well. Yeah. So you have like Neesmith at the three, Tatum at the four, Thompson at the five. Yeah, personally, I, I have like Tata, a Jalen as a four. I, I don't know. I mean, like, the, honestly, all of those guys Jaylen, have though. three different lineups. I mean, Jalen played a little bit of five even, you know? Like, you heard the Team USA stuff, and you saw him play with it a little yeah, bit. I mean, He's got a seven-foot wingspan, right? Positionless like, basketball at this point. I just don't know how right. comfortable I am watching Jalen playing closing minutes at the four. Well, so I think that, you know, you're two to four, really like, I mean, it's kind of like guards, wing, center, right? So I think your wings of Jalen, and, and obviously, like, you would need a lot of progress and, you know, Neesmith to come in and be this high floor person that you kind of a little bit predict him to be. Um, so we're just talking if Neesmith has a good season. But if Brown, Neesmith, and Tatum are your wings, say you're going up against um, Miami. Who, who are the wings that you're talking about here? You're talking about Jimmy Butler. Duncan Robinson and Jay Crowder walked. Um, who would be their four? Harkless wasn't it? Didn't they pick up Harkless? Yeah, and Harkless or something like that. I mean, like you can you can kind of pick and choose who's best for what. You know what I mean? Like I think that in that situation, Jalen probably does go on Jimmy since he's your best on-ball guy, and then you can have Neesmith maybe just chasing Duncan Robinson around, or but then if you switch over to a Toronto situation where maybe they're working with a more traditional four like a Pascal Siakam, then all of a sudden Jalen's on Pascal. You know what I mean? Because he's like a be- to me, Jalen's a better on ball guy. Why the other two or uh, Tatum specifically is better if he's able to lurk and and work off ball a little bit. So I think those three is your wings, and then you just kind of call matchups night to night. Yeah, I mean because the same thing is like. You know, just because you start at the two doesn't mean you defend the opposing two. Just as you start at right. the four doesn't mean that you're being defended, guarded by the opposing four. These right. things are very interchangeable. They flow. They're very liquid. I just feel like putting Brown at the four, to me, doesn't make as much sense as having Tatum there. Just because Tatum's got a little bit more of an ability to kind of attack off the dribble in terms of coming off screens and stuff as a pick-and-roll player, He's got yeah. more of a creative ability, but I'm hoping we see that from Brown too, you know? So yeah. it, it makes I sense. I think that you and I just kind of like define positions a little differently because when I think of positions, for sure, I'm just thinking of like who you're guarding. So I'm with you on the offensive end. Like Jalen um, is definitely more of a two than a four. You yeah. Know? You see, when I think of defense, I don't think of it by position. I think of it by matchup. Got who, you. Who's your, who's your strongest ball handler? Uh, okay, so the way I look at it is, Who's the strongest wing with the ball in his hands? Okay, now you put your best on-ball defensive wing on that guy. I don't care what position they play. If you've got Jimmy Butler as your strongest ball-handling wing, you go and put Jalen Brown on him because he's your strongest on-ball wing defender. So I don't look at it as position on defense. I, I very rarely look at it by position on offense, but I feel like roles are very clearly defined for each position more on offense than they are defensively. It's a lot more liquid defensively for me. Yeah, this is a Brad Stevens team we're talking about, right? I mean, we're a positionalist podcast over here. Why didn't we just name it the positionalist podcast? It's true. It's actually so catchy. Uh, We might be going (laughs) onto a rebrand, guys. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Only joking, only joking. We're like 140 episodes deep. We're not changing now. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, is that it? 
but yeah, yeah I mean, that- so yeah, there's going to be some growing pains, right? Obviously. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, do you think there's an eventual point if Kemba is out mid season, like a load management that you're even starting Jeff Teague? Yeah. I mean, look, I was putting out tweets earlier and I've kind of put one out just as well. Um, I was, I was watching his turnovers. I've been high on Jeff Teague since the Celtics picked him up. And I kind of went into, I kind of told myself, like, hey, go and watch some film about the negatives because you, you're unreasonably high on this guy right now. Um, so I watched every turnover he's done this season. There's a bunch of just sloppy plays. This isn't because of high, this isn't because of pressure. I'll give him his dues. 15 to 20% of his turnovers last year were because of his teammates' bad hands. A lot of dump off passes went straight. A lot of um, kickouts that did hit its target just didn't get caught. But then you have a lot of poorly timed passes. There was times where he'd mistake a guy standing up on the bench as a teammate and just throw the ball out of bounds. He seems to operate at 110%. Yeah, I feel like there's a good chance that he'll get minutes. Brad Stevens is really high on him. Brad Stevens uh, was singing his praises in one of his first years in the league as well. Uh, one of Brad's first, obviously. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of battles in Atlanta, huh? Yeah, dude. I feel like Jeff Teague is a, a big upgrade on Brad Wanamaker, and I'm still very high on him despite the film I watched today because I, I went hunting for negatives. It's not like right. the film I was watch, I was looking for good and found bad. I was looking for bad and found bad. So you can't let that sway your opinion too much. What's what's the last like real veteran point guard the Celtics had, like this backup point guard? Because, I mean, it seems to always be these overseas Wanamaker, Shane Larkin, um, you know, like these these diamond in the roughs. When's the, when's the last time you had a legitimate veteran backup like this? Well, you, you, you go, know, what, as far as I'm aware, you, it's way before the Stevens era. You're going back into the Duck Rivers era. And now right. I'm literally running through my brain. Of he was an all-star one year. Yeah, he was, dude. He was. I'm just trying um, to remember what point guards there were towards the tail end of the Duck Rivers because it was around that time. So you like 09, 10 was the last time they really had. Can you remember who it was? No, I mean, who was even backing up IT? I know you're talking about earlier, but like, ready? This is where we go basketball reference right here. Let's check out like 2016. Backup point guard, Terry Rozier. No, duh. Um, which, you know, nothing close to like an experienced guy like this. Um, Terry was back a point guard for a long time. Man, I'm back to 2014 here. Rondo played back up a tiny. No, Rondo started at this point. Yeah, right? Rondo was injured for most of that season, if you remember. Yeah, I'm looking at Rondo, IT, uh, Evan Turner, who, by the way, is a coach now. Yeah, we'll touch on that. I've got Eddie House back in 2010. Ish. Yeah, Nate that... Robinson and Rondo. There was a oh, lot. Wow, Phil Pressy, Jordan Crawford. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, see, this is it, you always kind of had discount backup point cards that filled their role and honestly became like favorites. Yeah, I'm talking like I feel like 2010, 2011 was the last time you really had a veteran backup because 2010 they had some decent backup bigs, you know, backup yeah. guards. Sorry, bigs. Where am I going with bigs? You know, and you're talking about who, like, so their point, team. yeah, their po- 2010 point guard rotation was Eddie House, Hudson, Nate Robinson, and Rajon Rondo. Yeah, like and that I was see a, even Delonte West minute. Like, oh, I, I just don't know, maybe 2012. Who was there? 20, 
dude, my brain is so scattered with players. Oh, yeah. I've gone through about like a decade in basketball reference. I'm back to 0809 now. And I mean, we've listed the best ones. Stefan Marbury, backup point guard at 0809. How many minutes? What? That's one more in 2012 was probably. But, you know, point being, you know, that Jeff Teague is one of the better backup point guards that Celtic has bought, um, has invested in. And really the last time in who knows how long the Celtics decided to invest in a backup point guard. Terry Rozier was that role for a little while, but obviously he's far from a veteran. And yeah, it's going to be a little bit different to kind of have some some backup and incompetence that is very reliable night to night. Uh, from that role don't get me wrong he's going to be a little bit of a streaky shooter but I think that even when the shot's not falling for him with his veteran presence he's going to know how to still contribute I feel like that's going to be his best attribute in terms of like penetration uh, driving dish it's going to be something the Celtics were missing with Brad Wanamaker and look Brad Wanamaker was crazy reliable in his role small low low usage nice cheap contract um definitely came came over from europe and held his own showed that he was nba level i'm not saying he was playoff nba level but you know he's found his way over to the golden state warriors uh you know they've seen something they like in him very reliable i just feel like jeff teague is a level above him even at jeff teague's age i know there's only a few years difference but the amount of nba experience teague has is such an upgrade because there was so little NBA experience on that roster last year that this really helps and then if we're talking about NBA experience and you've mentioned it a couple of minutes ago Evan Turner will be joining the Boston Celtics as an assistant coach focusing on player development how do you feel about that Brendan I was shocked I still thought Turner could get a roster spot in the league who knows maybe you know he ends up suiting up one day no I mean Evan Turner's like the king of quotes. Do you remember all the just phenomenal quotes that Evan Turner gets you? I think he's such a character and it's telling that he wanted to come back to Boston. I think the city really embraced him. I remember loving Evan Turner and his time here or in Boston. Sorry. Well, I, so, wrote yeah. news. I wrote the news piece about this for Celtics blog. And what I did, which I think I want to read out here as well, just to kind of drive this point home was I listed every coach's playing experience on the Celtics um, backroom staff to kind of say like, Hey, there was nobody here nobody on this roster with high level basketball experience. There was Cara Lawson, but she's gone. So they have Brad Stevens, who was a division three player at DePaul university and then went to, moved into coaching after. Did I butcher that college now? No, 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 no. You got it. Great. I just think, you know, he's a baller um jerome allen had a brief nba career and by brief i mean brief moved on to the euro leagues brandon bailey played high school ball and that was it jay Larang laranaga i could never pronounce his name laranaga um, i think laranaga was a highly successful euro league career but not at the pinnacle of the euro leagues like a couple of leagues down uh joe mazula d1 at west virginia scott morrison college basketball in canada i don't know what how you can take as much stock into that as you want. And then Jamie Young, who had not James Young, I mean, this match, someone put a comment on this and uh, it made me laugh. So I'm going to steal it. If you're listening, thank you for the content. Jamie Young, not James Young, but both of them, no playing experience in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> 
that was, that was a reader comment and i thought that was brilliant dude that's a really good one yeah uh so if you're listening to this dude props because that made me laugh out loud a few I times give anything for a throwback uh you know the young and smart shirts because they were in the same draft yeah <laughs> oh god um but the point i'm making is no Celtics coach coming into this season had NBA experience as a player. And I feel like there's a lot of value in having somebody that's had a long-term career in the league on that coaching staff that can help get the coach's message across in an easier way. They can relate to the young players that are adjusting to that time in the league, you know, the travel, the rocky wall, learning to deal with all this influx of money, the media, guys like us that are just tweeting about the stuff they did good right. and then like picking the bad stuff. Like, that must be annoying too, you know. You, you've been, you're a baller. You're one of the best 450 players in the world. You log into social media and you've got a random dude like me or you, like, look how weak he is on his left hand. Yeah, like, we suck. Yeah, dude. We're, yeah, we uh, really do. Yeah, like uh, super critical <laughs> of these teenagers. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, how how could he how could he make this poor decision? He went left when he should have gone right, and he didn't hedge. And this was custos. And we had to watch it like four times to understand. And we're like, why did you not do this? Yeah, dude. In, like, in game. Yeah, it's so against uh, the best in the world. You, you know, know I have it, with the second overall pick. Yeah, yeah, a very weak draft though. Yeah, but you know, Evan Turner draft. has a very underrated like vision of the floor, and I think that his game understanding is really high on the offensive end, and it could be especially useful to a guy like Jalen that's really working on his playmaking and Tatum as well. You know, like he has a very, I think he reads the floor and has really good vision in a passing sense as well. That's pretty underrated to him. Yeah, and it helps that he had such like the best years of his career were in Boston under Brad Stevens. He was the guy that created this play for Stevens, go get paid kind of mantra do you know what i mean yeah yeah because he got yeah he got paid up yeah it's four for 70 from portland dude Ooh, yeah like and so he's gonna be telling these guys like listen to brad you know what i mean he's gonna be very good at relaying message and be like i listened to him and look how that worked out for me then when i weren't playing for him look how that worked out for me too yeah, I'll buy back a little bit that I think his best year, just straight number-wise, but this is probably a horrible Philly team at this point, right? 13-14, this is probably um, during the process years. 17 points a game on, I mean, 42% of the field's not great. But yeah, I mean, he's taking 15 shots a game, and then he comes to Boston, and all of a sudden, yeah, I mean, he's only taking nine, and, and the numbers go down reflectively. So I guess the field goal percentage wasn't that much better, but the stigma around him changed, right? I mean, when you're putting up empty numbers on a bad team, um yeah i mean he still came to boston and got paid so yeah i mean i'm with you I, I think it's a fun addition for sure and again we're gonna get some great quotes so the thing that i want to point out is i see his best season in boston as 15 16 his second year in, with the team yeah mm -hmm. uh, in terms of efficiency that was nearly a five percent drop in usage rate from his best year in philadelphia so in philadelphia back in 13 14 his usage rate was in the 92nd percentile, nearly 24.5%. That dropped to 21% during his time with Boston. Well, 21.5 if you want to go on averages. So he was very, far more efficient on less usage. And I feel like that's going to be where he can kind of talk guys into playing a little bit more off ball and kind of help get that message across. Like, hey, you don't need the ball. It's just having that veteran presence to relay messages in a way that relates to these players more and having having that experience on your roster especially once you're heading into playoffs or you're 
you know, you're down late in a game is going to be really impactful. And that's why I was, I stand by the fact that Kara Lawson was a huge loss heading into the playoffs last season. Yeah. And, and to talk about those two different years that we were touching on real quick for Evan Turner in the Philadelphia season, we're talking about, he won 19 games and in the Boston year, he won 48. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's telling a little bit. I'm, I'm with you at this point, best year of his career. Yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, just throwing out numbers, throwing out words and hopefully they make sense. <laughs> <laughs> right guys, we've been talking your ear off for a hot minute now. We're going to be back again on Friday. I'm sure something's going to change between now and then. And if it doesn't, either myself or Brendan is going to have to get creative. If you've enjoyed it, if you've enjoyed listening, hit that subscribe button. If you're already subscribed, please feel free to leave a five-star written review. Nice only, please. No nasty ones. They make us sad. Don't want to ruin our day. We don't. We try not to ruin yours. Anything you want to say before we go, Brendan? that's it thanks everybody for listening subscribe rate and review if you enjoyed the show you hear from us a little later and we say bye and bye bye peace later ciao au revoir au revoir au revoir au revoir au revoir